Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Would you like to contribute to the conversation? Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, what condition conversation was in? Jay Talking with Bradley Jay. I listen to morning with the sun up. I'm busy. WBZ News Radio 1030. I tune my radio to AM 1030. The radio's all yours now. I talk to a man whose name is Bradley Jay. Improve my mind in a wonderful way. I just called in. To see what condition conversation was in. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, what condition conversation was in. It's WBZ, and I'm all excited because Michael Corn is here, the dean of the Massachusetts School of Law. How you doing, sir? I'm great. I'm great. It's always good to be with you. Did I say that with enough gravitas? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Because we're a couple of really heavyweights, uh, so we, we well, you like are, the gravitas. You are the dean of a law school, which is sort of uh, weighty. How are things going this summertime? What goes on up there in the summer? Things are great. Well, this is a good week. We have a graduation party on Thursday night where the alumni come back and um, see us and tell us of their accomplishments. And then on Friday, we actually have graduation. So it's a it's an interesting week. It's a busy week, but it's a great week because this, this is the fruit. They get to celebrate the fruits of their labor. I can't remember now specifically, but I run into people who went to your school and know you, a lot of people. <laughs> well, they should know me. Wait, I've been there 30-plus so, years at this point. Actually, there's a, there's a person in Sicily, right? Oh, Al Zappoli, Sure. Al, Al was one of the uh, founding students uh, in the law school, one of the first students, but also a founder of the law school. And I'm planning on going there, and I, I reached out to find out if anyone knew anyone in Sicily, and his name came up, and then your name came up, and look at that, you, you guys are, like, so, he's, so it's he's a, a heavyweight there. Six degrees of uh, yeah, separation. Two degrees of separation, that's uh, right. Yes, he actually does tours over there, he brings uh, folks over for trips and the like, he um, uh, has a lot of contacts between the United States and Sicily. He calls himself a reverse immigrant because uh, while his parents were originally from Sicily, he was born here, but now he has returned to Sicily. He spends uh, much of the year there, uh, loves it, loves the uh, uh, environment, loves everything about it. So it's a very interesting... Uh, I have to pick his brain. Part. Is he, is he remain a U.S. citizen? I think he has dual citizenship, both U.S. and Italy. Oh, and he can do that uh, because Sicily. his parents were from there. And he's, because his parents were from there. Yeah. I think he's also practices law both there and here. So it's a it's actually a really kind of an interesting experience. He, I'm sure he would come on and talk to you, talk about it someday. Al oh. likes to talk and exchange can, ideas. Can I get a fast track to citizenship if I know someone? Like, <laughs> like I think you gotta like have him. a little more of a connection than I don't just you know, no, it's someone. Sicily. Hey, I know someone. Well, you know, I did read an interesting article. I think it was in the Times recently that uh, if by, if you purchase real estate in various places, yep. you can actually fast track the citizenship. So, 
Um, there are ways to do it in various countries, and one of them is, in essence, investing in the country through home ownership or property ownership and the like. I have to pick his brain on things like where does he get his health care? Does he come here for it? Does he come every six months for his checkup? He, or? he has come back here for health care, but he said he has said, because I asked him this actually the last time he was in, he stopped up to law school and he had uh, a nice conversation with myself and, and Dean Sullivan. Uh, and I was saying, well, what is the health care like? Because at our age, you start to think about things yeah. like that. He said health care there is terrific, and he pays virtually nothing for it. He said it's terrific. It's, uh, it's hard to imagine that it's terrific, but maybe it's just that we're, we hear the propaganda about our health care. And I, I'll find out. I'll, go, I'll, I'll get injured, and I'll go. <laughs> yeah, that would be, go, that'd be go a good way to system. do it. Yep, check it out and see how, what it, how it works. All right. Well, we already have a call here, which I find interesting. I don't know <laughs> what he's going to say. I, we might as well, we might as well go for it, Dean Coin, Mark in Austin. What's going on? Yeah, great guest tonight, Bradley. Listen, as merely a newspaperman with an MBA, I'd like to ask both your and your guest: What do you think is the most important thing for a non-lawyer to know about the practice of law? All right. You know what? As We're going to ruminate on it. Mark and Austin with a great question. Great, great, great question. And a good question to open with. It's general yeah, and, and good. It is. Good knowledge to have. What is the one thing that a non-lawyer, non-attorney should know about the law? Um, it is a very good question. And it's something, you know, I don't want to give you the, the flippant response like the doctors would say, well, you know, I... Don't uh, don't go to WebMD and don't uh, uh, go to Mayo Clinic and all the rest for your diagnoses because you're going to be more uh, challenged and more concerned. I think I might know the answer. And but be, be careful. Well, why don't you tell me what you think? Okay. Is don't say anything except I'd l uh, I'd need to speak to my, lo <laughs> my oh, lawyer. Oh, you want to give legal advice? Well, frankly, that's that's a very fair point. Is that Just, I think, uh, and I've spent time talking to both my students and, and parents about this, is that as from non-lawyers um, want to cooperate. They want to be good citizens and good people. So when the police are, in fact, looking for assistance, even though uh, it may hurt the individual, they, people tend to be forthcoming, and they shouldn't because the, oftentimes the police are not there to help them if they're investigating a crime. Uh, what they're there to do is close the crime, and oftentimes parents and individuals provide information that then once the the law enforcement has that in their possession, they don't have a choice but to either bring more serious charges or bring charges. So one thing people should understand is what the point you made is that um, silence, silence is probably beneficial far more often than... And it's uh, uncomfortable to do that and say yes. that. And so what do you actually say? What is the template, boilerplate thing you say, the default thing when you don't want to speak but you don't want to seem like a jerk? Well, I think the the argument would be I want to be helpful, but my lawyer has instructed me that I cannot. Make the lawyer the heavy. Even though and, you don't have a lawyer? Well, you, your lawyer right now is telling you that you Everyone, want to be You can do it like a mass. Tell everybody that. And, well, but that, but as that a general count. matter, right. as a general matter, People volunteer information that is a, that hurts their interest, and it's it is wise to to not be volunteering information because you don't necessarily know where that well might ultimately lead. 
I actually took his question as slightly differently. Okay. Like, what is it difficult? You know, what should non-lawyers know about what lawyers do or okay. what the, the practice of law is like? And I guess that was the, the point I was trying to, to, to make is that just because you find information online that isn't necessarily uh, reliable or informative or even the form isn't in fact always accurate. Everything has to be addressed to an individual situation. Any law student and lawyer would tell you more often than not in law school, the answer is it depends. And it's oftentimes very fact-specific inquiry. And so you should investigate, you should come with lots of questions, but at the end of the day, you should listen to what the lawyer has to say um, because they've been in school for a long time. Hopefully they are experienced as well. And they should add that to their repertoire of knowledge and then ultimately make a, a more informed decision because it's, it is a lot that goes into being a lawyer. And it's not just knowing the law, it's understanding the situation, the courts, and what the potential solutions potentially are. And it's that's the thing to think about is that it's you're not always your own best advocate. It's wise to get a reality check and talk to someone that, that has some experience in the area. Looking stuff up online is sort of like being your own lawyer. And we know we all know it's a, that saying. Right. How's it go? It's a fool that. Uh, <laughs> how, do you remember? <laughs> it's it's that that uh, 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 someone who represents themselves has a fool for a lawyer for a client for a client, right? No, right. So, someone who represents themselves has a fool for a client. All right, and the, and that is that is in part the problem. But but don't we all look up information? I mean, I use WebMD and Mayo do Clinic you? and all the rest. Absolutely, I kind of. I think today we have to be our own best advocate for healthcare as well. And so I do, I look at information, I try to assemble as much information, and then I will talk to the doctors as well. But it helps me to, to know whether we're heading in the right direction or the wrong. As far as WebMD, and we are a little bit off base, that's all right. <laughs> yes. It depends on what you're doing. If you're looking for medical fact, okay. If you're looking to, to self-diagnose, terrible idea. Because there's all kinds of bad stuff it could be. Oh. And where your doctor can look at you and go, no, it's not that. But you think the worst. Oh, well, that bad, is the problem with a, a lot idea. of these Googled information is that it is, there's a lot of bad stuff out there. And we, by default, we skip right to the most, the worst possibility that exists. And that's not necessarily uh, good. But I also think that the, more information as a general matter is good for all of us. All right. Now let's start with uh, Kevin Spacey's situation. Yep. He's uh, actually going to be in court again soon, right? Uh, he was in court today. He was in court today. Uh, and that was the first surprise, is that he didn't have to show up for court today. The court has a, had excused his appearance, but nonetheless, he came in. It was on a, a motion that the defense had made to try and obtain any video that was existing in the restaurant at the time and to try to get access to the victim's cell phone and the like. So the, the first surprise today was Kevin Spacey showed up in court for a hearing he didn't have to. Why do you think he did that? Because well, he just wanted to make sure his people were doing, he's probably involved. No, I, I actually think he was trying to, at least in part, likely send a message that uh, he doesn't fear these charges. He's not afraid to be present and face the whatever evidence the government has. 
And as opposed to some of his earlier appearances in court where he was laughing and smiling with his lawyer, today he was relatively somber. Uh, it was uh, taken very seriously, and the, the image he portrayed uh, was far more professional and, in my opinion, correct uh, for a defendant in a courtroom than he had before. But I think it was, I think it was deliberate, and I think it was purposeful, and I think he carried it off very effectively. Of course, he's an actor, so he should be able to do that. But I do think it was part of his mounting defense that he wants to convey that he is prepared to face these charges and take this matter to trial if that's what the government chooses. If he's found innocent or if he's found guilty, can he then do a movie on this? <laughs> can play himself? I'm asking, asking seriously because it'd probably be a good movie. Um could he play himself? Sure. That's a question, though, whether anyone innocent, whether he's found not guilty or not, whether anyone will hire him in the future um, because of the the many uh, victims who have come forward and claimed um, that he has abused them in the past. Uh, this This allegation is really the first one that he uh, will face criminal charges for, but there are other charges and other people who have come forward and said that, in essence, Kevin Spacey was a serial predator, and that makes obtaining more movie business quite difficult. All right, we get to expectation of privacy versus right to get um, evidence. Right. Well, that's, where, where are we on the, the phone of the alleged victim? Well, that's the question. So they want to get access to the phone, and they, they don't just want access to the phone— they want to have what we call a forensic examination of the alleged victim's phone. And partly why they want to have a forensic examination, and what that means is that they have a uh, professional computer person undertake an examination of the phone and also try to uh, recover whatever information has been removed from that phone, either intentionally or negligently or otherwise, what they're trying to do is see to what extent evidence has been altered or concealed or destroyed in the process. And the reason they want that information is they believe that there will be exculpatory information on the uh, individual's phone, and that will help him defeat these charges. And so uh, they do not trust the information that the government has provided them to date. They want to personally have an expert examine the uh, device to see what is and isn't there, uh, and especially what may have been altered or removed from the phone. And, and did we find out recently that something had been removed? Yes. The, there were allegations in court by Spacey's lawyer today that some text messages have been altered, that others have uh, been removed from the phone, and that the victim's mother— also removed some information from the phone that she referred to as frat boy so text she, messages. So she admits to this. That's that's what the defendant, Kevin Spacey's lawyer, has said, is that she's acknowledged removing, to the police, she has acknowledged removing some information from the phone uh, prior to turning it over to the police. And that is quite problematic, both from the, the government standpoint of trying to pursue these charges but also from the standpoint that if there is exculpatory information that has been removed from the phone, um, Mr. Spacey should have been provided that before it was either altered or destroyed. And the fact that he wasn't, uh, wasn't given the opportunity to inspect and to really have a forensic examination of that phone 
um, means that, that the government's case uh, is a little more precarious than it was prior to, to this information. If it turns out to be the case that evidence was removed from the phone, is that enough to throw the case out? How can uh, Mr. Spacey get a fair trial? Well, and, and that's, a, that's a very good question, and that, that, that is questionable at this point. The first part of the question becomes, well, did the government alter or remove the evidence? If they did, then you're, you're absolutely uh, on point with respect to the likelihood that the government, if they believe that the government had a part in altering or destroying or removing items of evidence, then the sanction likely would be a dismissal of these charges. At least at present, the the uh, explanation by the defense lawyer is that the victim and the victim's mother removed items from that phone prior to turning it over to the police, but they allege that the police knew about it. Well, even that is problematic if that information wasn't provided to the defendant in a timely manner because under the Supreme Court precedent, Massachusetts precedent as well, government has an obligation to turn over all exculpatory evidence uh, to the defendant. Uh, and if they were aware of this and not provide that information to the defendant, then they'd have an argument that that is uh, worthy, potentially, of a dismissal of the charges. And that would obviously um, be a significant victory for Mr. Spacey. Even if it's never decided conclusively whether or not materials were move, uh, removed from the phone, doesn't that provide doubt? And that's that's the the last part of this. Let's assume that it's no, the the judge believes that the uh, abuses aren't uh, truly deserving of the such a significant sanction as dismissal. What it absolutely likely means is that that evidence will be fodder for cross-examination of the various witnesses and to be used as part of the defendant's defense to the case is that can you trust the information you have because a lot of it has been uh, destroyed or altered or deleted in the process of moving forward here and doesn't that create doubt because people generally don't destroy evidence that helps their case right. what they destroy <laughs> is evidence that is not helpful and some of this information, and one of the text messages that was discussed in court today talks about the text message being altered from help with a bunch of other words, something about a, should I get a, pic, a picture in like to deleting everything but the word help. Well, that sounds, if that in fact allegation is in fact true, that sounds like a pretty significant alteration yeah. of a text message. Given the fact that there are allegations that messages have been altered and deleted from the uh, the victims alleged to have been altered deleted from the victim's phone is, is mr. Spacey better off with a judge or a jury um, I think still a jury uh, but I think it's a closer call now uh, Kevin Spacey always had a defensible case uh, on consent based uh, argument on the individual was 18 years old that they you know you, you anyone can make decisions and sometimes with the benefit of alcohol make bad decisions but it's still not a situation that would have been coerced now with this the revelations today in court and the concern that there may well be evidence that suggests this was much more of a consensual exchange whatever took place um, the fact is, is that he's got a strong case to defend, um, and all he has to do is create reasonable doubt among the jury or the judge, 
And I think generally most, most of us would think that most lawyers would still think that he would have the benefit with a jury, maybe a little celebrity starstruck, and that could benefit him as well, where a judge wouldn't be as affected in the same manner. Um, and with a jury, he just simply has to create enough doubt such that you, uh, the government's proof falls short of beyond a reasonable doubt. I still think he's better. he would likely proceed with a jury, um, but it's, it is a closer call when you've, if, in fact, the allegations that came out today prove true, and if, uh, even more so, if when they do the forensic examination of the phone, if there is significant information in there that contradicts the, the victim's account of the, the events that night, um, then, it's, then it may well be uh, simply move it to a judge and, not, and waive the jury trial. Why would the alleged victim go through all this if he consented through well, a change, he, he, embarrassment after the fact? There's some question about who the driving force is with these allegations. And um, there's no doubt that um, his mother, um, who's a former anchor uh, for one of the TV stations, is a significant force here, and, and it, it drove some of this uh, prosecution. And I think uh, the argument may well be is that uh, the parent is driving it to a much greater extent than um, the alleged victim. And if that's the case, he may, uh, before we ever get to trial, we may find that um, he doesn't choose to undertake um, an examination of his life in the public spotlight like this. Because that is what ultimately will take place as the trial goes forward, is his account will be very carefully dissected by very talented lawyers who that is what they get paid to do is to to in part put the victim on trial and that's the way this case will likely shake out because it's either you're going to believe Spacey's account of the night of the events on the night in question or the account that the police are pursuing and moving forward with here. Next up the college admission scandal. Yep. Where do we stand on that? <laughs> well, we stand uh Waiting again for what Laurie Laughlin and the remaining 20 or 30 folks uh, want to do that chose not to take a plea. About uh, of the 33 original folks that were indicted, about 13 or 14 of them have decided to take a plea arrangement. That plea arrangement will likely require most of them to serve some time in jail, including Felicity Huffman. Uh, she may escape with a, a relatively modest sentence of four months or perhaps even if she's very, very lucky, a period of confinement uh, in, at home. Uh, but she will likely have her liberty curtailed, and I think it's likely that she will go to federal prison as a result of it. But she's looking at probably the very low end here where Laurie Laughlin and the others, when they chose not to take the plea deal that, that were offered them originally, the government then brought additional charges against them. And Laurie Laughlin and her husband are likely looking at, under the sentencing guidelines, even if they were to plea, uh, a period of incarceration of somewhere between 24 and 36 months. And in federal time, which is served in months and uh, like that, it is actually uh, true to its its name. If it's 24 months, then you might get a little time off, month, a month or so for good time credit and the like. But 
there's a truth in sentencing. If you're sentenced to 24 months, you're likely going to serve north of 20, maybe 22 months. Um, and so that's a significant uh, curtailment of your liberty if, if, in fact, she wants to make a deal. And that deal, uh, it's up to the government, but that deal may not even be on the table any longer. So is, is prison different for rich people? Do they go to the, you know, the uh, Al Capone jail? Well, it dep- it dep- <laughs> the Al Capone prison. The Al Capone Did you prison. see his, his prison cell? Did you see that? Well, what about pic- Tony Soprano? Yeah, and all exactly. Of right? they're, they're cooking. <laughs> that was Goodfellas, right? Uh, Polly and yeah. the, the, with so, all the cured meats and the lamb is rich chops. People and everything. Ja- is rich people prison really prison? Is it bad? I th- okay, listen. I think prison period is bad. Okay, some are worse than others, but. But I think any prison that you go to where you are not free to come and go, where your liberty is curtailed and you're told when you need to sleep and when you need to wake and when you need to eat and when you need to do your business, I think for almost everyone that that would be a a horrible experience no matter how good the prison is. That happens at camp, too. I remember going to camp. It was did you like kind camp? Of, I hated. I, 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 I don't know if you knew this, but I really hated camp. I took. I took a gamble. I hated camp. <laughs> but but that but that's the thing, you know. Uh, if you're if you're in part a control freak or in part you like your freedom, the fact that you can't come and go regularly, that you that someone else controls your very movement, and is is hot enough. Now put it put couple that with. You're with people who are uh, have violated society's rules, and they can't conform to society's rules to the extent that we have to put them in prison. And now they're your cellmate, your roommates. Your they're the people that that, that you're going to watch TV with. Will she have a cellmate? Does uh, everybody? Oh, there's uh, no there's no private room. Likely. <laughs> Well, that's, well, that's, no, solitary, that's it. Well, yes, but solitary has its its own problems as well. No, there's not. I'll, ta- I'll take uh, the private room on the concierge level. That's not the way it works. So, cause is it possible that a Laurie Laughlin would be in a cell with a, a murderess? Um, Probably not. I, well, I, we would think that they would try to match people with like sentences and like uh, dispositions to violence and the like, but but look at no one wants to be uh, in the cell with the axe murderer or the abuser or someone like that. So, but someone's going to have to be with the the less desirable. So she'll have to wear the prison suit, orange suit. <laughs> For her, orange will be the new black. Uh, uh, you or know, the new whatever. Well, it's not always orange. Sometimes it's tan. I have a couple up at the law school. One is orange, and I think that was from Essex County, and one is tan, which I think was from Middlesex County, uh, the jumpsuit. So I, I bring it down next time, and you can try it on. We can. And she'll have to go through the lunch line with a tray and be kind of vulnerable to bad people in, in Everyone in, public. Everyone in prison is subject to that. Now, you, you, one point you made. In which you're right. Federal prisons have tend to have, be a little better of an experience than some others, and so the 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 fact is is that she may get to serve it in a more desirable prison, but at the end of the day, it's it's still an awful experience. Uh, when we were, I was younger. 
uh, we played on some teams, uh, basketball and football, <laughs> that we played in at the various uh, prisons and the like. And even knowing we were leaving in three hours, it was an incredibly yeah, yeah. daunting experience to have to wait till someone opens the next door and then stop and then they'll open the next one. And to just have your liberty curtailed for some period of time, knowing that you weren't free to come and go and that you were among people who yeah. could people are looking at you. Who could do violence. Yeah. Significant violence. Yeah. I did it one that, time in softball in Concord, New Hampshire. And and it was Creepy. Yeah, it is and creepy. We went in the yard and played the ball, and then there were cells visible with people looking at us through the bars. Okay, so now imagine you're among the powerful, the elite, the famous, that this mostly this group in the admission scandal is. And they're used to giving orders, not taking orders. It's going to be awesome. Uh, well, I, I agree with you with respect to the point that everyone should be treated equally regardless of their social position or, or fame or status. The problem is, is I think where you are minimizing what an awful experience prison generally is, uh, not generally, that prison is, because no matter what, I've had, uh, I've, uh, I've had individuals that were close to me who I know, um, um, had horrible, horrible experiences in prison. And in one case, they were only there for six months. The other was about nine months. Um, but they, they, they're just terrible places to be. And uh, no matter how well run that prison is, because uh, I've d taken tours up at Essex County when Sheriff Cousins was there. I've been over in Middlesex with uh, Sheriff Katusian. Um They can be incredibly well-run places, they're still full of, of people who violate society's rules, and that's going to continue to happen whether they're yeah. incarcerated or otherwise. So it's, I think that's where the problem comes in for Laurie Laughlin is just getting her arms around the idea that even if, she's, even if she gets to go to the best prison, yeah. 24 months where you have to live uh, in that experience is something she just can't see herself tolerating or accepting. Yeah. And the problem with that is, well, if you can't do 24, what do you think about 48? And and I think from her standpoint, the analysis is, and her husband's standpoint is, is that I'll take my chances. Uh, you know, uh, she couldn't. Even, that's why she didn't take the deal. Yeah, right. She couldn't even do. What, what were they offering? Or well, what, 24 months in all likelihood. That's what she was looking at. And, and let's assume she could have gotten that down to 18. She could not see herself doing 18 as opposed to the risk of taking it to trial and perhaps, just like Casey Anthony, just like Aaron Hernandez, coming up with a not guilty. And if you remember those cases, the evidence seemed at the time overwhelming in those cases that a guilty verdict would be likely didn't happen. And there are many other cases where it doesn't happen Jury sometimes will examine the evidence and come from an angle very differently than than we, the public, look at a case. And so she'd rather take her chance, even if it's a 10% or a 20% chance that she doesn't do any time, um, as opposed to committing huh. to do two years. And I can't wait to see what happens. Well, it's I think it's a fascinating case. It's a fascinating decision with respect to this part of the analysis. 
because I think when we talk about defending the case, unlike the Spacey case, I think this is a very difficult case to defend. I think the electronic evidence, the surveillance evidence, the cooperating witnesses, I think it's almost overwhelming. They've got them in their own words and text messages and wiretap conversations, exchanging information that likely proves their guilt. It's going to be a very difficult case to defend uh, by the defendants, and uh, I think they'll be challenged to come up with a not guilty. And that's, that's going to happen right in town here? Yeah, the trial should take place here in Boston. I would like to go. you think I'd be able to go. How, how does sure. one— how does one go about it? You get there early. You know, you, just, you're just, up early. Just like the Supreme Court. Well, it's just like the Supreme Court. It's just like Whitey Bulger. It's just like the marathon bombing cases. The fact is, on, on all of those cases, and we've had a number of significant high-profile trials here in Boston Federal Court over the course of the last three or four years, the early bird gets the worm. There are people that will line up at 6 a.m. knowing that the doors don't open till 8, but then they'll get one of the few public seats wow. available. wow. And in a lot of these higher-profile ones like this, sometimes the court will also set up overflow courtrooms by co uh, closed-circuit TV. So even if you can't get in the uh, presence of the defendant, you can still see the live action in a remote courtroom. You know, if, if there's a trial day on a Friday, I work Thursday night, and I don't have to work the next night, I might do that. Bill and Norwood's next after this break on WBZ. Now, what do you say? I look forward to your next syllable with great eagerness. Jay Talking with Bradley Jay. It's Bradley Jay. You're listening to WBZ News Radio 1030. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm talking about my life. I'm talking about form. I'm talking about content. I'm talking about interrelationships. I'm talking about God, the devil, hell, heaven. Do you understand? Okay, talk. Jay talking with Bradley J. WBZ News Radio 1030. We continue with Mike Cohen, Dean of the Massachusetts School of Law, and friend of Jake talking big time. We were we were dealing with the uh, college admissions scandal case for a bit more, and we're going to go to Bill in Norwood. Hi, Bill. What do you have for us? Thanks for calling. Hi, yeah. Hi, hi, Dean. Hi, uh, Bradley. Hi, Bill. Bradley, what I wanted to know, after you're done with the uh, college admissions case, um, I listened last time you were on. I didn't hear anything of uh, your views or opinion on the uh, Judge Joseph uh, yep. federal uh, we're get to indictment. That. If you could speak about that. We'll get to that after. Good. I appreciate that. Thank okay. you very much. Okay. So now back to uh, the uh, college admissions. Anything else? We haven't talked about any... Uh, no, I think, I as you pointed it. out, I think it'll be interesting to see how it unfolds. And, uh, you know, ultimately what they were talking at least a little bit about today, and it, I'm sure the issue will be explored more, is some of the defense attorneys were saying, well, how is this that different than people who make significant, you know, six, seven-figure donations to colleges and universities expecting that their children or their friends will be treated differently when they make the call to ask for that favor to be returned. 
and I think it starts to open the door about the, the inequities that uh, rich people benefit from with respect to these donations as opposed to the, the, the most of us who can, couldn't possibly afford to make significant donations to colleges and universities. And it does make a difference at the end of the day with respect to the um, uh, money they make, the incomes they earn, and the, ultimately the work they go into. So there, there is a concern about the inequities in the whole system that hopefully people will take a harder look at now that, that we're seeing this part of it as well. So along those lines, what is the difference between a, a bribe and the donation. Sure. And we, our discussion, to, to shorten it up, is uh, quid pro quo. Right. It, and not only quid pro quo, but stated quid pro quo, not assumed quid pro well, quo. Well, that's what, that's what the uh, government is going to have to s prove because I think the defendants are now sort of throwing out some trial balloons as to where their cases may go. And, I mean, you know, the most uh, famous example here is Jared Kushner's dad gave a million dollars to Harvard, and then he was admitted subsequently to Harvard, at least by all accounts, on an academic record that wouldn't have warranted it otherwise. Is that really that different than what some of these people have done? But we know that Laurie Laughlin and Felicity Huffman went well beyond a simple donation looking for a quid pro quo. They fabricated yeah. uh, records and information here to um, create an illusion that the, their children were something other than what they were. I was just kind of thought rich people donated and hoped for the best for their kid. But you... Do you think life works like that? So you <laughs> seem to think that there's seldom a million-dollar donation. Without some sort of expressed understanding, there's going to be something in return. I... I do think that. I, I do think that. I think if I think if I'm spending two million dollars on a donation where I am not an alumnus and I am not attached to the institution, then I think the institution knows that someday I'm going to call this favor back in, and I'm going to expect someone to return my call. Yeah, they. But that's not expressed. You feel like they express it. Um, the guy says, "Well, I, I don't hey, know." Hey, I'm going to donate some dough. Can you get my son does in? It, does it need to be expressed in order to be a quid pro quo? I'll go, I'll say in my my naivete, yes, yes. I mean, otherwise so, you're just giving money. So a wink or a nod or something along those lines that, that we An rich people can An understanding, maybe, maybe out of sheer gratitude, they let somebody in that well, wasn't really qualified, but sheer gratitude is not. Oh, hey, I didn't know you were going to have such gratitude when I gave you the million bucks. Well, that's the other part of this that is now being exposed as well, is that when you say someone other, otherwise not qualified, there does appear, because this is what they were fabricating, completely different academic tracks for those who are athletes and those who are not athletically inclined. And that's, to me, a little surprising with respect to some of the, the less significant sports. I really didn't I, – I understood, okay, football and basketball, I, I got that those – they were going to dip a little deeper into the pool. I didn't know that was true of crew and tennis and soccer and all the other sports that really are non-revenue generating. I, I thought that those were likely meeting the same academic qualifications – um, as most of the students in the in the institution, turns out not so not, not so, so much. Not it so turns much. out, yeah. You know, when you're rich, life life is good when you're rich. I guess. <laughs> yeah, I guess. As always, a, a real pleasure to have you here. 
Okay. Hey, y'all. Thanks for being with us. And Dean Coyne, especially you. Thank you. See you next month. It's WBZ Boston's News Radio. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.